For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. For they knew, for though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Father, when we hear these words of Paul, it can be daunting and heavy, and yet the reality is, God, it's intended to point us to the beautiful grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is this list of sinners in here that every one of us relate to in some fashion or form, it is, it is for sinners that you have come to show us grace, to live and to die for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might be free, that we might be those who would be free to love and free to worship and free to live in a way that honors you. And so God, uh, thank you for such incredible grace. And we just pray now that our hearts would be moved by your word, that we would have grateful hearts filled with joy uh, at the beautiful um, sacrifice of your son for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Chris. And Brian, that was the, the best Apostles' Creed. <laughs> I didn't know how that was going to turn back on me, but you, you somehow made that happen. Um, I'm excited about today. Many of you know uh, Matt Smith is with us here this morning with Project 92, and so he's going to be sharing in a little bit about what's happening with that ministry. And so what, what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to do things a little different. 
I'm going to set up the, the theological foundation for missions, and then he's going to come and give the application of missions in a particular place through the organization that he represents. Um, and so that's, that's going to be a little bit how today is divided up. And so I wanted us to be in Romans 1 and, and let this stand as, as kind of our text that we begin with and kind of frame how we understand missions and why there's a need for missions. And so as, as, as Chris read it, um, we really should have at, at least two responses to that here if you're a believer. Number one, if you're a believer, we should cringe at that reading. Because it's, it's the reminding of our old self. It's the reminding of how we lived prior to knowing the gospel. It's the reminder of, of that we live for our glory and our kingdom and that we had rejected God to worship creation. And secondly, uh, we should be thankful. And that's especially where I'm hoping as we go, as we make our way through this message, is that we, this text reminds us what we've been saved from, the wrath of God, to what we've been saved to, the very glory of God that we would spend eternity with him. And so I just pray as we look at Romans 1 that there should be a cringing in your heart, but it should also be a thankful heart as we reminded the reason God's wrath is no longer against us is because of his grace. And so, Chris, thank you for reading that. Yeah, I'm not sure how long the voice is going to last, so uh, he was kind enough to come up and, and help. What I want to do, though, is, is make our way through the text through a, with a series of questions. And so I just want to ask questions, and we're going to make our way through, uh, and we'll, we'll be in this text, and then we'll be in a few other places in Romans as well. And so the first question is, what is God's response to sinful mankind? We read, and, and we always want to make sure we ask questions from the text. So a good question is, that, what is God's response to sinful mankind? In verse 18, clearly Paul wants us to see that God's response to our sinfulness is wrath. God's wrath is his righteous anger that opposes, um, that, that opposes against anything, that opposes his rule, his glory, and his name. And so that's what we have here. It begins, for the wrath of God is revealed. And then so we might then say, well, what does it mean for man to be unrighteous? Because we see that God... God's wrath goes against that which is unrighteous, and we see that in verse 18. Verse 18, Paul clearly says that um, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he describes man as those who, um, in their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. So twice in this passage, we're told that man is unrighteous and God's wrath is directed to all that is unrighteous. And everyone apart from Jesus Christ that has been born in this world is unrighteous. Now when we go throughout scripture, we see the opposite when it talks about God. We see God is righteous, which means everything he does is perfect, is right, is true, is glory, and it's for his glory. So to be righteous is to rightly glorify God, and because God is supremely righteous, everything he does is always for his glory. There's not one action, one movement, one thought that he takes that does not glorify himself. And yet now when we turn to humanity, we see man is unrighteous, which means we live contrary to the purposes and glory of God. So rather than live for God's glory in the advancement of his kingdom, we live for our glory in the advancement of our little 
kingdoms. And there's two ways we at least see this, um, see that in this text. Number one, we reject the truth of God as creator. If you look in verse 18, the very last words, it says, we suppress the truth, which then you should automatically ask the question, what truth is it that we suppress? Verses 19 and 20 says, the truth of God and his invisible attributes, meaning power and his wisdom. So what he's saying is that creation clearly reveals God, clearly reveals his power and his wisdom and his might. And it says we suppress that truth. And then in verse 20, it says it so clearly reveals it that we are without excuse. So we're going to be held accountable because there's no way to be in this world, to look at creation, to see the very things that God has made, and then to reject God. And then in verse 21, it tells us why we reject him. Paul says we know God. But because of our foolish, futile, and darkened hearts, we reject him and deny him. So creation is created, is given to us as a means of helping us to know God. In fact, last week in our sermon, we actually looked at how creation is specifically spoken about in God's word as a means of pointing us to the very attributes and righteousness of God. And so when we read the Bible, it's helping us to understand how we look at creation, and it all points to an ultimate designer, God himself. And yet we, in our sinfulness, because of our darkened understanding because of sin, we can look at creation, and as it points to God, we say, nope, that doesn't go towards God. Now, in America, there's many ways that we could give examples of how this is lived out. Um, one particular way, we, we could say science. While science is the study of many things in creation, which ought to lead us towards worship, which is why some of the most amazing scientists have been Christians throughout history. But rather, what we see now is that as science is being performed, we're trying to create more and more reasons on why it does not lead us towards God, but towards anything but God. And so we see that clearly here in America now, Matt's going to come up, and he's going to talk to us about other places in the world, such as India. And many of you know we support 24 missionaries currently in India. And so to give an example from, from their country, we would say the Hindus have created 33 million gods. India is an idol-making factory. So when, when creation is pointing towards God... They've come up with 33 million alternatives to the one true God of the Bible. And, and, and it shows what we have here when you think we've come up with 33 million. That's just Hinduism alone. That's not talking about animism or Buddhism or all the other Middle Eastern religions. That's just looking at Hinduism. And so if we were to then look at all the religions and how it shows the determined darkness of our heart to worship anything but God. And no matter what scripture says, because of our, our sinful, futile, foolish hearts, we'll reject the truth of, one, of the God of the Bible, and we will believe in anything else. And when you look at many of the gods of Hinduism, they all represent some aspect of creation, which is what takes us to the second point on how we see that um, we've rejected God, because we've exchanged the glory of the creator for creation. If you look in verse 23, it says, we've exchanged the glory, notice how it says, the glory of the immortal God. So the everlasting God, that's, his, that, that's who we've rejected, infinitely glorious, 
And then, notice how it, what it says. We exchange that glory for images of man, birds, animals, and creeping things, bugs. So we say, there's infinite glory of an everlasting God who lives for all of eternity, and I would rather worship images of birds. And that sounds wise in our hearts because of sin. That sounds like a really, really good idea. Verse 25, we see we worship creation rather than creator. You see, when we deny God, when we suppress that truth, no longer does he determine and define who we worship and how we worship him, but we place ourselves in the position of God. Now we determine what we worship and how we will worship it, and that's what we see all throughout creation. And so when, back in 2018, when, I was, when Matt was kind enough to take me along with him into India, uh, I got to see this in many ways on how we exchange the glory of God for the finite, temporary pleasures of creation. So one, and I shared this with you before, we, uh, we go to a village, and, and in this village, they're right outside the preschool. It's good to remember that. So there's a preschool right here. You remember this? There's a preschool, and then there's the King Cobra Mound. Yeah, just like 20 feet. Um, not sure why they built the school there. I wouldn't build a school there, but I'm not in charge. Uh, it's about three and a half feet tall, probably about eight foot diameter around is, is this mound with holes everywhere for the snake to come out. So um, we're all like just stepping behind the other person here. We let Matt, because he was our leader, so he represented us, and he stood in front. I think we kept pushing him that way. Uh, but there was blood also all on top of the mound because that's where they make sacrifices because they worship the king cobra. That's one of their gods. But then we also, uh, we went to the Ganges River, which is one of the, the primary rivers in India. Uh, many Hindus will make their way to the Ganges River at some point in their lifetime. Uh, it's a place of worship. They believe that if they can uh, wash themselves in the river, that potentially it will um, atone for their sins. They'll receive forgiveness. They're trying to appease the goddess of the Ganges River. And so while we're there, we're, we took a boat ride, and we're on, the, we're on the Ganges River. It's nasty. And Matt told us it is going to be absolutely filthy. There's a crematorium that was just um, within eyesight. We could see where it just puts the ashes right into the river. There was feces floating everywhere in the river. I mean, it's a horrible, nasty-looking nasty river. And so then we have people, which we can see coming down the banks, and they're washing themselves. They're brushing their teeth in the river and everything else because they're doing whatever it takes to gain atonement. In fact, I was reading. Um, I was just looking back over some, some notes I had and some stories that I had, and uh, I came across the story of two guys, Hindus, that they come to the Ganges River. One makes their way into the river and washes and comes out, and the other one says, did it work? And the guy said, I don't think so. I don't feel any different. But nonetheless, they will continue to wash themselves in there because when we deny the one true God, and we create whatever it is else that we're going to worship, we must find our own means of atonement. And so what we see here is really a picture of humanity that we have restless hearts, 
that we are searching for eternity, we are searching for hope, and we will go to whatever links possible to begin to find that. But because of our darkened hearts, we will look anywhere but the gospel. And so as we look at this picture of, of what it would be to, to worship and atone for our sins at the Ganges River, and we can say, well, that's terrible. I would never do that. We're in the same boat as them. We are simply turning to anything else other than Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sins. It's like we are grasping for shadows. Now think about that. Creation is made so it would direct us to the worship of God, and yet we stop at the shadow, at the creation. So husbands, imagine this. Wives, think through, think through this. What if your husband loved your shadow more than yourself? You're like, that's ridiculous. Well, it would be ridiculous. What if, he, what if when you're on a walk, he was trying to hold hands with your shadow instead of you? What if, what if he, he tried to go out on a date with your shadow but with, instead of you? What if he tried to hug your shadow Instead of you. I mean, we'd say that's, that's absolutely foolish. That's ridiculous. And yet, that's exactly what we do in our sinfulness when we look at creation and we go, that's what I want to worship. And yet, creation was given with the sole purpose of directing us towards God that we would worship him and know him. And so we're all guilty of worshiping shadows, and as long as we do that, we will never be satisfied. And so a question that we have is, it says God's wrath is revealed. We see it's revealed against man because we're unrighteous. We suppress his truth. We worship creation. But how is it revealed? That would be a good question. So what does that mean? How is God's wrath revealed against unrighteous, morally depraved, truth-suppressing, shadow-grasping mankind? And there's four words that Paul uses three times in this text. So if you look at verse 24, it says, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. So the four words, God gave them up. You say, well, what does it mean that God has given up mankind? What is that? And so I believe it was R.C. Sproul. I think he gave one of the best explanations, at least that I have heard of this. He said, imagine a man that has his dog on a leash. And he's walking his dog, and the dog, everything the dog wants to do is get away from the man. He's trying to run, chase a ball, chase a squirrel. Whatever it is, the dog is pulling at the leash, jumping at the leash lunging away from the man. He wants to run. He wants to go do what he wants to do. So what do you think happens when the man gives up the leash? What's the dog going to do? It's going to go. It's going to run and do exactly what it wants to do. And so what we are told here is God's wrath is revealed against mankind. Man has suppressed the truth of God. We've rejected God. So God gives man up. So what do you think happens when God gives man up to running headfirst after sexually impure, morally depraved lusts. That's exactly what man is going to do. He will pursue his lusts and his desires apart from the glory of God. And so if we can summarize that, God's wrath is revealed by man's pursuing pleasure and meaning apart from God. That's the way his wrath is revealed right now. He gives us into our sin that, that as we pursue these finite pleasures, they might initially taste like honey in our mouth, 
But in the end, it's poison that will leave us weak, hurting, unsatisfied, and ultimately in eternal torment. My wife and I were walking the other day, and I was telling her about this, and she said, it's like movie popcorn. And I said, what? It doesn't even make sense. She goes, no, like when you go to the movie theater and you get the big, large bucket, and, and you eat it, all of it, during the movie, because you have to eat all of it during the movie. And if you're with my kids, they find ways to get the refill before we're done. So we eat two of these buckets, and it tastes great when you're in the movie theater, right? And you get up, and you're like, whoa. And there's something about movie popcorn that coats the inside of your stomach. So when you woke up, when you wake up the next day, have you done that? And you're like, oh, I don't want breakfast. Like, have you been, like, that every time I do, I love it, I'll eat it. But the next morning, I, I still don't want to eat. So just, there's a picture of our pursuit of pleasure apart from God. We run after the shadows, we cling to them, and yet in the end, these very things that we find temporary pleasure in are the very things that will torment our soul and end in destruction. It's like a mouse who goes and begins nibbling at the cheese on a mouse trap. It tastes good, but as he goes, it will end in his destruction. And so as God gives us over to the lusts of our heart, his wrath is being revealed so that one day we'll experience the fullness of that wrath. So a question we might have then as we, as we come to the end of verse 32 is, does God have any other response to sinful mankind? That'd be another question we could ask. Is there any other responses that God has to sinful man? And the question is yes. And that's the good news. That's why we're here. We know that the God of the Bible is a God of love, He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. Rather than pour forth his full, unrestrained wrath, what did God do? He sent his son. In fact, I love the song that we just did, the very last song where it just talks about we're thankful that God sent his son. That's, that's, the, hope of Christ, that's the hope that Christianity offers. That's the hope that we have in this world is that we deserve wrath. God gave grace. We deserve torment. We deserve hell. But God gives grace. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why we're here today. That's the reason why we gather. That's the reason we have missions. There'd be no point for missions if there was no gospel. If God does not give grace, there's no point to have organizations to go forth and give any message. Because there would be no hope. And what we understand is that God doesn't just wipe our sins under the rug, but Jesus, he pays the price for them at the cross. And if you look at your Bibles, um, just flip a couple pages to the right, Romans 5, 17. Romans 5, 17 and 18, this is what it says. For if because of one man's trespass, this is Adam, for if because of Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, meaning because we all come from Adam, we all die, we all suffer the judgment of, man, of God, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass that Adam did led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's the gospel. That's the hope. And notice what God gives in verse 17. The one, much more 
Well, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of what? This is a group participation. We'll do it again. I'll say it. You're queued up now. So much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. But wait a minute. What are we? We're unrighteous. That's the whole point. If you go from chapter 1, 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, the point Paul's making, none is righteous. No one seeks for God. We all deserve wrath. And now he says, Jesus comes and gives the gift of righteousness. That's the hope of the gospel. So that now when we believe in him, his righteousness, this is what we call his righteousness, is imputed to us. It's given to us. It's credited to us. We didn't earn it. This is a legal standing. So now when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you in your unrighteousness, soiled by all the filthy rags of the moral and sexually impure acts that you have performed throughout your whole life. But rather... He sees the righteousness of his son Jesus on you. That's the gospel. That's the hope that we have. That's why we do missions. And we're told that all who believe in Jesus receive the free gift of righteousness. Because God gave the grace of his son Jesus Christ. Now get this. He's patient with sinful man. You're like, he's patient. Why is he patient? What, what's the purpose of God being patient? So go back now, Romans chapter 2. So you've got to go a couple pages to your left. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is what Paul says. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So he's making the case, and he's talking about, look, you haven't experienced God's wrath right now, but don't think that because you haven't been judged by God, you're good. Like, don't think because you're not in hell right now, or because you were speeding and the cop didn't pull you over, that you're good. There's another one waiting around for the corner from you. You know, but he's saying, don't, don't just because you haven't been judged for all of your sins yet, think that you're righteous. God is patient. Well, why is he patient? So that, not knowing that God's kindness, so his patience is an act of kindness, is meant to lead you to repentance. Paul is saying that God right now has not poured out his wrath because he's given forth his son Jesus so that now we could believe in him and people can be saved. So if you've ever wondered, why does Jesus not return right now? Why is, what is Jesus waiting for? Because Jesus is patient. He's waiting for the gospel to continue to go forth in all parts of the world to every tribe, tongue, nation, and language so that all who are to be saved will be gathered on that day that he returns to his throne. So he's not going to return until the full number has come in and so he's patient, waiting for the gospel to go forth. So one more text, Romans 10. So go all the way to the right now, Romans 10. And we're actually going to start in verse 13. Romans 10, verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Amen, Amen, indeed. You know, Roger used to go do door-to-door evangelism all the time because of this passage. Because it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. That's the hope of missions. Do you know that? Do you you believe that? Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, the gift of grace of God, will be saved. Why? Because when we believe in him, he gives us his righteousness. Now when the Father sees you, you're clothed in the righteousness of the Son. That's the hope of missions. That's why God is patient. So that this message will go forth. And that's the whole point of the next part. Well, if we know that's true... If we know that everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved, how are they to call if they have not believed? Good question. But, but how are they to believe if they haven't heard the gospel? Well, how are they to hear unless someone goes and preaches? So what is it that we, the church, need to do? We need to go. Why do we go? Because we know that if we share the gospel, people will believe and everyone who calls the name will be saved. And we know that more people are going to be saved because God is patient right now, waiting for what? For more people to believe in his name, Jesus. So there will be a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, language gathered around the throne. That's the hope of the gospel. We're unrighteous. God gives grace so that we could become righteous in his son, Jesus Christ. And now, as the church, every single one of us is given his spirit, so we go. And we go share the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the only thing that gives us spiritual life. The gospel is what, what declares us righteous. It's the gospel that opens up our eyes that we see the futility of everything that we worship before. See, it's foolish to go to the King Cobra Mountain. It's foolish to go to the Ganges River. It's foolish to look at science and go, that doesn't direct me towards God. It's foolish to live for anything other than the glory of God. But our eyes are only opened by the hearing of the gospel. And so I want to give, I want to give five responses. I have down three, but I added two. So I think I can do this. Number one. If you're here today and you have not believed in Jesus, I heard you believe today. Believe in Jesus Christ today. It says if you believe in Jesus, he is your Lord and Savior, the one who came from the Father to die on the cross, rose three days later, that he would conquer sin, death, and Satan. If you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. You are declared righteous. You are a child of God, adopted into the family of God for all of eternity, and nothing changes that. You've been given the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of your salvation. That's the good news. So if you've not yet believed, I encourage you, believe today. That would be the first response. Number two, if you have believed, then, then respond in thankfulness. Give praise to God. Give praise to God that he has saved you not because of anything you have done. You are no better than any other person on all creation. You are no more deserving of faith of, of salvation than anyone else. The only reason you are saved is by God's grace. So give thanks to God. And number three, and specifically thinking now missions, 
we need to pray. We need to pray for our missionaries. We need to pray for those who are going out and sharing the gospel, specifically thinking about the men that we support. We have 24 missionaries that we support at the moment. We need to be praying regularly for them. And I want you to think, think of prayer like this. Think of, think of a missionary who's being lowered into a dark cave, that he would share the gospel with people who live in darkness. The ropes that lower him are the prayers of the saints. They're what support him, what protect him, what guard him. Because see, missions isn't about your effort and my effort. No one's saved because of how eloquent you speak or I speak. No one's saved because of how hard you and I try. We're saved because of God's grace. And so prayer is simply the means of, of, of reaching out and holding on to the very promises of God in heaven and declaring them true on earth. And so when we're praying for our missionaries, we're praying that God's promises would be true in their lives as they go forth and share the gospel, that they would share the gospel and people would hear, people would believe, and then people would be saved. So one of the roles that we need to play on a regular basis, we need to pray, not only for one another, but for those in India and those in all other parts of the world, that our missionaries would be covered in prayer. Number two, I want to encourage us to give. And I'm talking financially at this moment. And I want to encourage two reasons that we should give. One is when we give, we are showing that all of our resources are are really belong to God, and it's an act of worship. And we, we are saying by our giving that God's kingdom is what we are serving and what we desire to be advanced, not our kingdom. The second reason, our giving tells our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world they're not alone. It reminds them that we are all brothers and sisters, that we're all part of the global church, that we're all part of, ultimately, the one body of Christ. So our regular giving is a means, not the only means, but a means of reminding them and us that we all work together in the body of Christ, filled by the Spirit of Christ, that we would go share the gospel. And so when one part of the body is able to serve another part of the body, we do that, right? We do that not only here locally, but we need to do that globally. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And one of the ways that we give here is that we, um, the missionaries that we support, um, they are individually supported by families in our church. And right now we have five of our missionaries that need uh, to be supported by individual families. And if you would like to know more information about that, I'd love to tell you about that after service or some other time. But if you'd like more information on what would it look like to support one of the missionaries that we support in India, what does that look like on a monthly basis? would love to share that with you um, and how that, can, how that could be a part of your life in worship. Number three, or number five, I guess it is, uh, we need to go. We're all called to go and share the gospel. And so I, I do want to encourage you to evaluate how are you sharing the gospel locally right now? How are you investing in the friendships around you, in your neighborhood, at work, in your school, whatever that might be? I also want to encourage you 
Is God calling you to go? Short-term or long-term missions. We, uh, we had a family that, was, that we highlighted last week up on the screen. Last week? Vincent, was that last week? Vin, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy. I don't remember everything. Um, but Vince and his wife, now they didn't go overseas, but they left everything they had in Oregon. They packed up, and they're now living in Utah, which is the most unreached area in all the United States, and they're going to plant a church there. Maybe God would have you do something like that. Or maybe God would have you go to other parts of the world and begin sharing the gospel and team up with different organizations. But I just want to simply encourage you to pray, God, help me to be willing wherever you would have me be, whether that's local or global. Let that be our prayer. So if you've not believed, I encourage you to believe today. If you have believed, I encourage you to respond in thankfulness and worship to God. Let's pray for our missionaries that God would give them all that they would need and that the very promises of God that where his word is preached, that there will be those who are saved, that his word never returns void. Let's pray that, that would be true as they go preach. Let's give, that our missionaries would be supported, equipped, reminded of the true church, and let us wrestle with also going locally and also globally, that God's name would be advanced here on earth. And so that is why we do missions, uh, because of the gospel, and that is our responsibility and so now at this time, I want to invite, invite Matt to come up. And Matt, uh, he's the director of Project 92. 